Hello, and welcome to our live stream tonight on November 10th. And today we're going to talk about Gone West. This is actually the last part of the book, part two, The Officer Escapes Hell. So I want to welcome everyone for uh, coming and listening tonight. This is, we had a really good dis uh, discussion last time. <laughs> and remember, I come and we give, I give live streams every Sunday and Tuesday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern. So, you know, hit the subscribe, hit the bell so you'll be notified when I live stream. Uh, please hit the like button. That will help also. So I hope, hopefully that everyone will have, um, <clears throat> we'll learn something tonight because this will be the officer escapes from hell. So let's go real quick over the officer. He went into the lower zone when he passed away. He was a very intelligent man, very focused. And, you know, his whole goal was to be on top of whatever situation he was in. And if that means he went down the lower zone or into hell, if it had to be <clears throat> more evil than everybody else, more, more cruel than anybody else, well, then he would be so he could be in charge, not one of the people who were, who was taking orders. Of course, then the spirit world, you know, let him have all these chances, but finally put him in such a low depth that he was in darkness and by himself. And so who could he, who could he be worse than? Finally, he took the time to understand what he was doing. And then he started changing his attitude and he asked for help. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, so now he has been uh, rescued. He has been he has been helped into a you know a safe environment, and so so now it's in still some part of of the lower zone he's at. So now we'll we'll continue on with what he said. As soon as I reached the house in which HAL lived, I found the officer waiting and that he at once continued his story. And that's the medium JSM Ward. So now the officer will complete his story. After wandering through the city for some time, I saw a building which appeared to be a sort of institute. On looking in, I perceived there was a kind of debate in progress. It appeared that some missionaries from the higher realms had been holding meetings. And as a result, someone proposed the theme, is there life after death? One man said, there's no evidence that men, men live after death. Some people I know argue that we have died. And therefore, since we are now alive, this fact proves that there is a life after death. So again, this is, he's in a city, still down in the lower zone. And, pe and many people there don't even know that they're dead. It's just amazing. And I've seen this in, in uh, mediums meetings. I'm not a medium, but I sit in the back and I, I, you know, I'm there and I, I get to listen in. They're very nice to let me do that. He goes, so therefore, he says, you know, but this is begging the question. We are alive, and this proves that we have not died. We have been very ill and on recovering from the whole earth change. Look how gray the sky is and how dark it is all day. So here he is. A person passed away, went into this completely different environment, and yet he still felt his body. He still felt the walls of the house. He still felt... He still felt the dirt under his feet. Now, it was dark and dirty, and the architecture was pretty decayed, but he was alive. He breathed. He, he, he was hungry. He didn't really need to be, but his mindset is hungry. Therefore, he's alive, but somehow he's in some other world. I'll carry on. 
Yes, broken another man. That's why I'm sure we're dead. And I believe we're on hell. And then preposterous cried the first speaker. We're just as comfortable here as we were before our illness. I don't believe in hell, but if for the sake of argument, we admit that there may be such a place, all will agree that this cannot be hell. The Parsons taught us that hell is a place of eternal torment, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Well, there's nothing of the sort here. We are all, of course, rather bored with the same endless rounds of petty cares and troubles, but that is what we always find on earth. There's no anguish of the damned any more than we experience the imaginary joys of heaven. That, to my mind, is one of the strongest proofs possible that we are not dead. If there was such a thing as life after death, it would be entirely different to life on earth. Now that this life may differ from life when we were younger, but it is not so entirely different as it would be if we were disembodied spirits. Gentlemen, I move that this house considers that there is no convincing effort, evidence in favor of life after death. So, here is this marvelous guy. Didn't lead a very good life, probably, or he was just a very realistic person and didn't engage in too much uh, Pollyannish behavior or thinking. And so he said, well, you know, this is, and of course, the city is in, is not in the further, you know, parts of purgatory or with the spirit is called the dark abyss. He's kind of a, kind of a higher city where things aren't very good, but they're not too bad, right? And he probably hasn't seen these warlords and stuff. Maybe he has, but he just accepted it. So then, he goes, I'll not detain you with the arguments of his opponents who maintain that there was life after death. They followed it, this is what the officer was saying, they followed usual lines which may be expected. The speaker declared that he was sure he had died and so on. He admitted that he was puzzled where they were, but considered they were probably in purgatory, due to protest from several stunts Protestants who declared this was popish rot. The chairman intervened and order was restored. I felt, however, he only half believed his own arguments. The next man who rose had a really ingenious theory, though it failed to convince many of the audience. This is what he said. So here's these people trying to talk this through. They haven't looked up and seen the light. They weren't very spiritual. They were just kind of more surface spiritual during their life on earth. And they're trying to figure out where they are. And think of it. And think if these are the people, then this this was done in the, you know, the, the beginning of the of the 20th century, so 1904, 1905. Think how people are now, where the culture is, there's nothing after you die. And yet they'll wake up to what? They'll be in the same situation. So many people, it's just so sad. So many people will, will go, where am I? Why is, you know, where's, where's, my, where's my smartphone, right? And won't, you won't have it. So anyway, so then this man who had the ingenious theory, this is what he said. I know I died. And in this life, I believe it's just a dream. I suppose our brains go on working for some time after life is declared extinct, having lost all real control of the body. It spends its time weaving wonderful dreams. Of course, I know this cannot last long, but when on earth, I've also often dreamed long dreams in which days and weeks seem to elapse and found out afterwards that I did not doze for more than five minutes. You will at once say that when, then we are merely the phantoms of our brain. You are all right. There is no city, no debating hall, no one but myself. I have dreamed you all. Soon my brain will run down, and then the dream will cease. Look how we go on doing exactly the same things we did on Earth, over and over again, like automatons. No, the only life after death consists of the dreams of the dying brain, 
but I waste my time talking to the creations of my own fancy. And he sat down with a morose frown. And of course, then there was a roar of laughter greeted this speech. So, and this is interesting too, when he says they're all but dreams. So there's the there's good and bad parts about the internet, right? The internet kind of spreads really kind of stupid things, but then there's also where it brings groups of people together. And near-death experiences, before the internet, people were just little points of data. And, you know, there was like Uncle Bob had a near-death experience and, well, that, he must have had a dream. Right? And people didn't, some people believed it, some people didn't, right? But now, when the internet got together and these people started relaying their, uh, their experiences of their near-death experiences, people are starting to investigate. Of course, what happens is that there's plenty of people around saying, nah, it's all, their brain is shutting down, it's some sort of chemical in their brain. Uh, it's all these excuses. And because I've written a book about near-death experiences, uh, actually two, but what this, you know, this, you know, so, and what I've done in those books is I've gone through like the central themes and I've gone through, you know, people's individuals, NDEs and said, okay, this is what happened to them. And this is what does happen within the background of, of you know, their experience, what the, what the uh, spirit world was trying to tell this person. And it's very interesting because you can see their personalities. When they tell about their, their near-death experiences, you, uh, you can kind of see what kind of personality and why the spirit world tried to tell them what they did. You might have given them the warnings or give them, uh, you know, other information. Of course, the book is called The Spirit World Talks to Us. 12 accounts from near death and other experiences. But what it did is having the internet allowed, so you can see, no matter what culture, language they were, they had these central themes that, that you're not dead. You are you who you are when you pass over. You review your life and they know everything about your life. And that's, of course, all this is backed up by spiritism. And spiritism, and spiritism says that that we have a unique identifier associated with our spirit and our, our body and that all of our thoughts are all of our thoughts are recorded everything every emotion every deed every, every thought every, everything you there you live in a glass house completely even your mind is like a glass mind so this is why they can replay scenes with great detail of what happened in your past life and go over that and talk to you. And they all say the same thing. When you have your life review, it's not threatening. It's not mean, right? It's like, okay, yeah, we've all done that, but how could we do better? It's very, it's very nice. So anyways, let me carry on with what then the officer stood up and said this. He goes, gentlemen, I am but a stranger who had wandered into your city on his journey to another place. But if you will only believe me, I think I can convince you that there is life after death and whether or not there is heaven. There is certainly hell and we are in it. Further, there are lower depths of hell than this and in them men suffer torments akin to those which are considered proper to hell. Listen to my old adventure since I died. But the officers then, he talked about his adventures. He said, but it was no use. Before I nearly finished, they shouted me down and Several threatened, threatened to haul me off to the battlements. As I went out, a man followed me, and as soon as I got out of the side of the building, he came up to me and said, Sir, I know you are right, and you have worked your way up through so many divisions of hell, you will doubtless escape in the end. May I come with you? 
Before I could answer, his guide became visible and said, my son, I will guide you out of this realm to a place where loving friends will help you. Follow me. It was impossible for any help for any to help you till you desired help. But now I may return to you. And they went away together. So again, so here is the officer in this town, kind of the upper levels of this purgatory type place. People couldn't even decide if they were dead or not. But, and then of course, the guardian angel, that the helper for the officer was with him the whole time, but he, he was invisible. Now, why was he invisible? Because the higher you are spiritually, the more energy and less matter you are. And of course, even people in this purgatory, lower zone or the dark abyss, they're much less uh, matter than we are here on earth. We're very dense matter. We're most ma mostly matter than some energy. But then when you go and pass away and you're on the lower zones, you're a ratio of matter and energy. And as you go higher and higher, you become a ratio of higher energy than matter. And that's why, that's why they could not see him. Just like we can't see spirits, most of us, some mediums can. But then tell his guardian angel willed himself to be more dense and said, um, and then he could be appeared to people. And, and then the other important thing he said is the guy who came and followed the officer said, you know, can, can I go with you? And of course, that was his first cry for help. It was like, I want to get out of here. And it shows you the spirit world is always cognizant of what we're thinking. And therefore, anyone who's in these lower zones, in these types of purgatory, once they get their, once they get their, their, their character, so they start looking like, oh, I, the way I've been, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with these other people like me. I need a better, a better path of life. Then they will start being helped. That's why there's no such thing as eternal damnation. Be, although they may think it is, and, and if the spirit world lets them think that, that's kind of part of the, of, you know, let them really get down to the, the base of, of, of being regretful of where they are. But then as soon as they change their personality or their character or their beliefs, they will be helped out. So that's an important thing to remember. There is no eternal damnation. Even for, as people you know, always write me like, even for people like Stalin, right, who killed millions or Mao killed tens of millions and other people I could, I could say. And the answer is yes, there is no eternal damnation. All will someday become a perfect spirit. Now it may take some people thousands and thousands and thousands of years and you may have to pay a lot back for all the people they killed, but they will eventually go up. And, you know, so it just shows you we've all done bad things. And therefore, when you see someone who does bad things, just say, okay, I probably did that in a previous life. So it doesn't mean it, it, it shouldn't be in jail, right? But you don't have to hate them. You, you should just feel sorry for them. Does, you know, they might still need to be locked up, but still you, should, you have a little bit of pity in your heart and kind of silently pray like I hope they hope they see the light that this type of behavior is counterproductive and will get you nowhere because there is karma. There is reincarnation and there is karma. And every action has a reaction. So everything you do in this life will be tabulated and, and uh, collated. And then this, as you're going through this life, your plan for your next life is being created. And of course, the opposite too is as you do good things, your plan for your next life is created and your next life will be better and better and better. 
That's why people say, you know, oh, I hate this life. I go, well, do good in this life. Your next life will be fantastic. And also what we're told by spirits is that whatever you do, whatever sacrifices you make to help people, you will be rewarded a hundredfold when you return to heaven. So there is definite reward there for unselfish, charitable, and fraternal behavior. And that's what they want us to know, right? The spirit world doesn't want to punish anybody. When we go through these trials and tribulations and, you know, these bad things happen to good people, of course, you know, from what you can tell, uh, because you haven't seen their past life, it's not to punish them. It's to educate them. It's to say, this bad thing is happening to you. Let's say it's a really horrible uh, divorce or your company went bankrupt and now you're, you know, you're in debt and poor. That's because at some previous life, you'd cause someone else to be in that condition. And now you're gonna learn what it's like to be in that condition. And it's really helping you become more empathetic and nice to people who've, who've had hard times. And it follows you from life to life to life. When you, the spirit world tells us that we don't regress. We don't retrograde is what they say. If, you know, if we become a better person in this life, the next life, it's not, it's not like there's, oh, there's still the same chance as you started the other life that you'll turn out really bad. No, your chances improve over and over. You may not do very well. You may not succeed at everything you planned. You may kind of go down a wrong path to a certain extent, but, you'll, but your whole character and your personality that you ingrained into you will not will not let you go too far back, right? You may make mistakes. I'm not saying you're not gonna make mistakes. I'm not gonna say you're gonna be perfect, but you you will hopefully improve or at least stay that way. That what the spiritists call that parking, like you park in life after life, you, which is I've been told that I have, my wife and I have done, is we just kind of stayed at that same level of corruption. We've been in charge of groups of people and we like consistently, <laughs> We consistently thought of ourselves first and them later. They probably, the spirit world kept saying, um, okay, we're going to give you another chance. Okay, we're going to give you another chance. And we, and we were told in the meetings meeting that you, you failed over and over and over and over again. And you have a lot of debt to pay. So we, you know, it's like, who knows? Who knows how much, you know, what harm I've done to people. So hopefully... And of course, and I've been told I've done even much worse things. I've been told that I've tortured people. And I know I must have lived a life that was really bad, uh, of great disabilities, because I deserved it. And I'm sure I felt sorry for myself the whole way through it. And, um, but hopefully I, I turned out better. And hopefully I'm better, I know, I'm better. I'm not gonna say I'm anywhere towards good. Of course, perfection is not even on my horizon, but, you improve in life after life. And that's why people shouldn't give up on the human race. Because you, when you look at the human race, there's all of us going through our little trials and tribulations. All of us are learning just through life, right? And each success of life, there's more and more better people on this earth. That's why we're on, we're at the beginning to become a planet of regeneration. And it's just like, you know, the grains of sand on the beach. It, it, there's not going to be a all of a sudden in an apocalypse and they're going to, all the bad people are going to disappear. No, it's going to be gradual. And the people who, who aren't able to improve 
in life after life on Earth within the time when we get to planet regeneration, they'll be sent to other planets. They'll be sent to a planet of atonement at probably a lesser status than the Earth. But those who are improving at a rate good enough to be on a planet of regeneration will stay here and they will go more and more and more. And, you know, we have seven, what, approximately seven billion people on this planet. It's just like each grain of sand. Each grain of sand is going and, and you know, getting into place to create a firm foundation for our planet to rise. And we're on, we're just now starting that process. That process is not going to be fast. And there's going to be a lot of twists and turns and things that you won't believe and a lot of catastrophes, but that's kind of normal. So, but it's going to happen. And you'll be part of that if you're still on earth. And if you try, or if you really try hard and you're a really good person, then you may be sent to a more advanced planet and you kind of leave earth behind unless you come back and you want to help your fellow humans on earth. So let me continue on for uh, what the officer said. So they walked together. They were following their guard, uh, his guardian angel. So now he says, he's, he says, I journeyed on alone, led by my own guide out of that city. We passed other cities and villages all very much alike. Till at length we reached the high mountain range. Slowly and painfully up this we climbed. And the higher we went, the harder and steeper became the path. Till at length we reached the top and saw a short way in front another rest house, larger and finer than I had ever seen before. High up towered the building, and from the topmost story, a great light beamed forth into the darkness. But the powers of darkness were not going to allow me to escape without one last effort. Suddenly, I was surrounded by a howling mob which tried to drag me back and cast me over the cliff. But I had not toiled so hard and suffered so much to lose heart now, and summoning all my willpower to me, I hurled my assailants to the right and left. Even as I did so, my guide stood beside me in all his brightness, and the vile spirits fell back, screaming with fear. To me, the pain was intense, but I bore it, and stumbling forward, fell against the door. Instantly it opened, and kind hands drew me in, and the door slammed. As it did so, I heard a yell of baffled rage and hate. So, why did the officer feel pain next to, that, next to his guardian angel? Because his guardian angel emanated calmness and coolness and goodness and that of course and of course in the spirit world thought is is action and thoughts range out just like do here on earth we just don't listen to them but this the thoughts and the and the reflection of god's love from from his guardian angel his mentor affected him and it it, it put in what he was it, it gave him what he felt was physical pain but really it was mental pain and that presence toward through someone really good, that presence made him think of what he'd done wrong in the past. It may be back in his subconscious and it just caused him uh, immense pain. Of course, in the other spirits, it caused them, caused them even more pain. So then he said, then I heard my guardian angel's voice say, son, for a while you will not, you will not see me, but I shall always be at hand. The strangers whom I could not see because the light led me away into a darkened room. So, what he says, the sun will not see me, but I shall always be at hand. What does he mean by that? So, we've been told, and I talk about this in my book, How We Are Guided by Spirits. 
of how guardian angels, how angels stay in touch with us. And it's a very important thing to know. So, many people think and they, they visualize a guardian angel being like right next to us all the time, right? But that's not how it works. Now, this guardian angel in what he said in the book showed up to the officer in his time of need, right? But that, but before that, all the other time he was in touch. So how does that being in touch works? Well, there's there are there are a few ways. One is being next to him, and of course that takes a lot of energy and effort on that guardian angel on that on that spirit because you've got to make yourself more dense. Um, it's you know it, it it really takes a lot of effort. The other way is when a spirit is your guardian angel, they maintain a mental connection to you. And I explain all this in my book, How We Are Guided by Spirits, by uh, information that's sent to spirits to the Reverend G. Baon. And so there is like this, it's like you have this open cell phone, always open, because you have a unique identifier. And of course, in your, in your mind somehow, it, you know, you don't, Consciously know, but there's connected to the unique unique identifier of your guardian angel So if you pray to them or if you talk to them or you you're in the situation They'll know right because that line is always open The other thing they'll do which is um, Quite and they could be in heaven or they could be in a galaxy away in another planet, right? Who knows where Distance means nothing because they can they need to go to you they by the speed of thought the speed of light is not the speed limit in the spirit world because really what you're doing is you're this logical construct uh, uh transferring and traversing uh logical data and changing your state to get where you want to be next to uh his ward so another way is is for that to happen is the guardian angel will plug into this universal cloud, this universal database that holds everything. He will look up, let's say this officer, and he will see what's gonna happen in the near future to know, does he need to be there? Does he need to be on alert? Does he need to ask the assistance from other spirits to help the officer? Because a lot of times I've read where a spirit will come down to help a certain person and they'll engage and say, hey, can you guys help me with this? And then other spirits will, will talk to other people or arrange different things and they'll work together. Of course, then when they need something for their ward, other people will help them. So your guardian angel is there. Now, the other thing I want to say is for children, I uh, think before the age of seven, up to the age of seven, I should say, they are always in proximity to that child because you, you, who knows what the heck they do, right? They're so cute. So they're always there. Now, of course, after that, they can be, you know, they don't have to be right there with them. Because, you you know, when you see a child and you, you see them walking and they're, they're walking straight, but they're looking behind them. And somehow they always look at the right moment to see this post. Not always, but almost always. Uh, you know, it's, their, it's that spirit saying, Turn your head. I mean, they've got to be watched all the time. You never know. Um, so they're so they're so wonderful. So that's the guardian angel. The concept is real. Everyone has this mentor spirit. Now, another interesting point is when you pass over, does it mean you don't have a guardian angel anymore? No. 
you still do. In fact, this one spirit wrote that he was in this pretty high level of heaven. He had never, he knew he had a guardian angel, but he'd never met him. And he was sitting on a, like a cliff, like a mountaintop, and there was a canyon across. And then he felt, he, then he saw this person on the other side of the canyon. He says, and he said, I just knew it was a guardian angel. And the guy said, come across. He goes, well, I can't. This is the next level of heaven. It's, it's too bright for me. He goes, no, don't worry about it. I'll make a, a bridge. And he said, then the guy made this, uh, this bridge made out of like a cloud. And he said, okay, just walk over there. You'll be fine. And he, he walked over and the guy, you know, grabbed him and said, well, excellent. You're here. And he goes, I've been with you through thick and thin, right? I had a lot of things together and, and, and all, I've watched you. And, and so they had a great talk. And then the guardian angel kind of walked them back across the, the canyon and they started walking down off the, off the, the mountain where there was a cliff. And he goes, okay, this is as far as I can go. But, you know, remember, I'm always there. I'm always there to help you if you need to. And this guy was a pretty advanced spirit to like, if he was a guardian, he could be a guardian angel of someone on earth. And But this guy was even higher, was a guardian angel to him. So everybody has their mentor. And they don't they don't disappear unless, you know, maybe mentors change depending on circumstances. I, I don't know about that. I'm sure it's got to happen sometime. But everyone has someone who's looking out for them. So isn't that a wonderful thing to know that you are never abandoned? If you are in a dungeon alone, a hospital, you have that connection and you can pray and you can meditate and ask for guidance and help and inspiration. And they'll try to get through, through to you. you just, the important thing is to kind of open your mind and have faith that there is something else besides just our you know, material-based uh, body there is a spirit and there is an immortal soul with us. So let me uh, finish what the officer was saying. So they said, I shall not describe what happened there. You, you've already known from what uh, had been told you. And he was under this, this um, in this treatment center. He says, for some time I stayed in the hospital undergoing treatment which was directed to drawing out of my spiritual form all the gross and evil matter it contained. And when he says matter, it's really his ideas and suppositions and his innermost feelings. And very interesting, he goes, when this work was completed, I shrunk to the size of a tiny baby. And then they began to build up my frame. And after a short while, while I was there, I was able to take my place in the schools. And you read this in other places is that there's a, a great story about this guy was called the blacksmith and he was in this level in the lower zone and this 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 um, higher spirit who had like a, a castle in the lower zone it was kind of an outpost to help people and this blacksmith that like was you know being dominant horrible to other women spirits and he had other men there he kind of like dominated them and he was big and burly but to make a long story short Shonara came to him and said, no, look, I know that, you know, he goes, you, you're not this way. And of course, he, the blacksmith was really sarcastic to him. But then he said, oh, yeah, you're right. Let me think about it. So Shonara rescued the people he was, he was trying to rescue. He had actually this woman in his hut. And Shonara said, no, this woman has to, is not, does not deserve what you're doing to her. She's coming with me. He said, okay, get out of here. So then after a while, Shonara was in this outpost. 
And he was told, look, there's someone who wants to meet you in this outpost. And he goes, okay. And he went out of the outpost and there was the blacksmith. And he goes, I thought of what you told me and I do want to be a better person. And the funny thing is, Renard said, he could tell the blacksmith had changed because he had physically diminished, right? Because when you're a dominant spirit, right? You, you feel bigger, you feel like you're dominant over, over people and you've got this cruelty and you're, you just get bigger. And, but when that, when that hatred and, you know, just ill intentions and sarcasm uh, is released from him, he loses all that and kind of becomes smaller because he feels weaker, right? He's lost, he's lost that strength. That's what happened. The officer lost the strength of his ill intentions and of his, of his, his bad character. And yet he hasn't had any, anything to replace it with until he really learns about service and love and fraternity. And that's why he shrank because he felt himself. He felt himself small and inconsequential. That's why he said, I shrunk to the size of a tiny baby because you are what you think you are in the spirit world. That's why spirits tell us when you pass over, you still have your, your paraspirit and your paraspirit is what you think you look like. And what they say a lot of times, if you, if you pass over when you're old, you become younger. And if you pass over when you're really young, you become a bit older. So people end up in their 20s or 30s. There's exceptions to that, however they want themselves to look like. But this is how he felt. He felt, the officers just felt like everything I've been, everything I've known, has led me to nothing but problems. And so then they had to build, it says they begin to build up my frame. But really what they did is they begin to replace his character and personality and show him the doctrine of spiritism, show and showed him what the spirit was about and showed him what love can do for him. So yeah, I'll carry on with what the officer said. He goes, here I met P, which has shown me the greatest kindness. Although I was one of the worst boys at the school, never ceased trying to help me. When he left the school, he particularly urged me to try and follow him, and I determined to do so. So, so then the officer said, when it was time to leave the school, I must admit that a great dread filled me. I feared the terrible darkness almost more than anything else, but I refused to give way to this feeling and asked to be shown the way. Now, we are not permitted to go out of hell by the road which H.A.L. visited and returned from schools in hell. We have to climb the sides of the precipice, and very hard it is. We went out of the same door at which I had entered the rest house, and turning to the right, passed along a broad ledge. One side was the, was the, was the cliff, which had led down to the 6th Division, while on our right hand was the high cliff. The darkness seemed blacker than ever, probably because I'd begun to get used to the light in the schools. We were passing a cave when a huge and hideous form sprang out, crying, Hold! None may escape from hell, but ere he had time to touch me, my guide turned and made the sign of the cross in the direction of the foul creature, who screamed and fled back into his stinking den. The next phase will ever remain in my memory as a hideous nightmare. We began to climb the almost precipitous cliff. I kept constantly slipping back. Stones and rubbish slid from beneath my feet, but still on we climbed. My guide appeared to float slowly upwards, always little ahead, and from him the light flowed which lit, which lit up my path. 
At length, he bade me stay, and I did so thankfully. We had reached a small level platform, and here he bandaged my eyes. To your weak faith, even the dim light of half-belief will be for a time too strong. So again, he's getting him ready to, to get out of hell. And the light, he's been so used to this dim light, which is, that's part of, you know, purgatory, part of the lower zone of dark abyss. It gets even darker as the lower you go. So the officer said, so we continued the upward journey, but at length I came to a piece up where I simply could not climb. My guide said, fear not, I'll help you surmount this last obstacle where the end of your long journey is almost attained. Next moment, I felt his hand in mine and making a last effort, scrambled out onto the level top of the cliff. It seemed to be like in a blaze of light, like the plains in India at midday. In spite of the bandage, the pain was so intense that I rolled on the ground in anguish. The rest of the story you know, how P was there to greet me and introduce me to the medium and how from him I've learned how to communicate through you with the earth. So the officer said, now this task is finished and I'm gonna go with other bands of spirits to work on the astral plane. There I hope to help many of the soldiers who are laying down their lives for their country. My knowledge is considerable, both of the astral plane and of hell, and I hope to guide and save many. Among them, perhaps, I may still find a few of my old comrades in arms. And the officer said, the officer said, farewell to all. So that is the story of the officer. That is his story of descending completely into hell and then climbing out of it bit by bit and transforming his character. So purgatory and hell, whatever you want to call it, there's no eternal damnation the lower zone, the dark abyss. It's there for, for those type of spirits to release their bad thoughts, their, their bad character traits. It's a hard place to do that. And it's not that efficient. You'll notice the cities where people didn't know they were even in hell. That's why being reincarnated in a body on earth is the most efficient place to change your attitude and your character. Why is that? Because when you're in heaven, you're still not perfect. Even if you go to the first level of heaven, you're still far from perfect, right? You're going to climb, climb, and climb. But heaven is such a pleasant place. You're not going to make deep changes into your character, your attitude. It's when you're on earth in this dense body. And, and the dense bodies are to keep you like horses with blinders, right? Because you can't just, you know, be distracted all the time. And what they're doing, they, they, and also in the spirit realm, you don't, you're not sick. You, you'll never go hungry, right? You're not going to lose your job, all of that. You don't grow old. And on earth, all of that happens. And there's also, there's the element of time, right? There's no time in the spirit world. It's, it's just change of state, not change of the second hand ticking over. But in the earth, there's time. Why do we have time on earth? Why did God make time on the physical plane? Keep us moving forward. We are all on a treadmill to keep us going from one Lesson to the next lesson. It's like that bell, right? When you're at, you're at school, you go from class to class. It's the same way here on earth. You're going from class to class and there's a timer on each of your episodes. It's all particular to what you need. That's why we have time on earth. It keeps us moving forward. And there's a logical end, sometimes a violent end, sometimes a peaceful end to your class time and you go back to the spirit world. But this is where you are hit by thousands of emotions. And you really will go through the deep introspection to rip out those primitive emotions and replace those with higher love and spirituality. 
And it's not easy. And people ask, you know, why do I have to have such hard trials? Well, the answer is you were probably giving, and the spirit world loves all of us. God and Jesus loves us all. And if they could, they would give us very easy lessons. Like, can you not do that? And of course, you know how we are, we humans are, we're very stubborn. And therefore we said, no, I'm, I'm gonna do that because it feels good, right? Or I want that. And then you'll get another lesson. It might be a little harder lesson, but then, and you ignore that one too, but then you get an even harder lesson. And I'm sure that's what I went through. Um, to get your attention and to say, this is not a good idea and this is why. This is why this your behavior in this manner is not a good idea. That's why when people say, well, how can I learn if I don't know what I did wrong? And my answer is that you will learn. You will be given circumstances with, in which if you analyze your actions and your feelings of how terrible or whatever how you felt, you'll know that you would never want someone else to go through that. That's why you have like a hard breakup or a bad relationship. Don't learn from that, that I'm going to be mean to all the other people because I want revenge on what that person of whatever sex they were, right? Because they did that to me, I'm going to do that to all the other people. That's actually the opposite lesson. The lesson you need to learn is I never want to do that to someone else. I'm not going to behave that way. But the way they behaved to me was horrible. And I'm not going to do that to anybody else. And that's the lesson you need to learn no matter what happened to you. And you need to look on that person who did that, what you consider to be a terrible thing, as just a, 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 a tool of divine justice. And then that poor person will have to go through their own karma, right? It's inescapable. It's inescapable that's going to happen. So when you think of like, oh, there's these rich people get away with murder and there's these politicians who are corrupt and, you know, these drug dealers on the corner are killing people and they're all getting away with it. Well, no, no one's getting away with anything. Absolutely nothing. Everything they do is tagged, recorded, and put down like in a, uh, you know, not a literal book, but, you know, the book of their life. Now, what happens with that book of their life? Well, what happens is that book is then, you know, all their, everything's recorded. And so, therefore, now, if you think your life now, your life is going along its, its pre-planned blueprint because of what you've done in your previous life. Now, in your current life, that's going according to a plan. Now, it's not always static, right? It's not like, you, you're, oh, you're going to be at the corner of 5th and Main at 3 o'clock on this date. No, no. You really have to look at, there's, there's dynamic attributes and there's static attributes. There are things going to happen. Your major life events, probably getting married, having a you know, horrible sickness, an auto accident, going broke, those were pre-planned. If you wake up in the morning and you want to go, let's say, to the grocery store, your route to go to the grocery store is not pre-planned. You just get to the grocery store. Now, a spirit, your guardian angel may say, oh, if he goes this route, there's an accident, and you could get hurt. No, okay. So they're going to inspire you to go the other route. You'll see this in action when people talk about, let's say, when a plane goes down, and you're always there's always two or three people that say, you know, I really want to take this flight, but my alarm clock for the first time didn't work. 
right? Or I, my car, I tried to get in my car, my car wouldn't start. I couldn't get to the airport in time. But those were the people that were not destined to be in that accident, to die at that date. That's how this works. But as I was saying, if you're just doing something, you know, you get a common cold, you get the flu, that's, that's cold life, right? Someone's kind of mean to you in line. That's not karma. That's not payback with karma. That's being called and being in a planet of atonement where there's a lot of people that are always agitated. And guess what? You're part of that culture, right? But if someone comes into that shop while you're there, points a gun at you and says, give me all your money, that was probably planned because at some point you did that to somebody else. So now, as you're living this life, it's all being recorded, right? You're making your plan. You're, you're creating your curriculum for your next day on the school called Earth. So that is the most important thing you can take away from, from the whole life of the officer, you know, and everything is that what you do now decides what your next life is going to be. Karma is real. Reincarnation is real. And people, even with NDEs, they come back. And that's one of the themes I was talking about is the theme is we have many lives. We're not expected to be perfect. Think how God would be so unjust if he, a baby was born and he was born into this criminal family and everyone was like, oh yeah, let's go rob a bank and right? This, this dysfunctional, horrible family. Does that person have the same chance to be a good, to get to heaven through good good deeds and acts as someone was born into this wonderful family of, of loving people, no matter wealthy or not, right? Does that person have the same chance? No, not at all. That would be unfair. No, most probably that person born in a criminal family had been a criminal themselves, wanted, you know, and it's going to be, going to have a lot of lives in front of him or her, right? And so there, everyone's at different levels of spiritual maturity. That's also why when people want equality of outcome, right? Not just, not just equal rights, which is fine, but equality of outcome and equality of income, let's say, as an example, no. People are at different levels of spiritual maturity and they get different levels of, of trials and tribulations and rewards. And therefore that mature spirit may be a manager or an entrepreneur and become very successful and still treats people nicely. Well, they deserve to live the life that they're living because in the past they probably lived a much worse life. That person's very dirt poor now because they're obstinate and don't want to go to school and don't learn. They don't even nice to people. Why should they have the equal outcome of someone who's worked hard and not only just worked hard in this life, but in previous lives? And if you have this, this equality of outcome, then that person who is not very nice won't learn the lessons he or she needs to learn. They need to be humble and nice. Everyone knows to get a job. You, you've got to, you know, you've got to like suck it in and do it, you know, be humble to get that and keep that job. Well, that's a good life lesson. It may not seem fair to you. So what? You're not, earth is not a fair place. Earth is a place to learn. So that's why what you do here, your future life is going to, it's going to be affected. Karma is real. So 
I want to thank everyone that uh, for being here tonight. And if there's any questions, please give me a comment. And then let everyone say, as I was talking about karma, I'll just end this with one of the books I've had, which is the uh, problem is the solution. I talk about problems you have, and the fact is that they're there because you're to learn from them and what you may have done in the past to experience those problems, which is, I think, is very important for people to understand that their, their problems aren't there to punish you, they're there to educate you. The spirit world. God and Jesus, who is the governor of our planet, is a wonderful leader. We are very lucky to have him guide our lives and destiny. And his ministers are people like Socrates and Buddha, you know, prophets that have come to earth and made a big difference. We are very lucky to have him in charge of our planet. He's in charge of other planets too, but in charge of us and loving us. So I just want to leave also one other thing is that for those who are interested in spiritism and want to kind of learn more about it, I have on my site, nwspiritism.com, you can see it in the links up below. But if you go to that link, go to that site, on the right-hand navigation bar, I have my book, Spiritism 101, The Third Revelation. It's free, it's on PDF. Now you can all, if you like Kindle or paperback or Audible, I also have, you know, I have a lot of my books on Kindle, Audible, and paperback. You can, you can buy that book there, but it's also free for people who want to uh, get dip their toe in the spirits of it. It explains so many things. It, explain, it really gives you meat around like the, the mystery of heaven and the mystery of life and the mystery of your own life. It gives you something, it gives you actionable ideas and knowledge so you can understand your life on earth. And then lastly, I recommend everybody read The Spirits Book by Alan Kardec. And uh, you can get that free on PDF. Just put that in DuckDuckGo, whatever search engine, uh, Alan Kardec space PDF, and you'll find all his books on PDF. I also have on my YouTube channel, which I'll post this video on, or this video is on now, I should say. Um, I have, if you look at the playlist, one of the playlists is The Spirits Book. I read the whole Spirits Book. So you can, in audible in format, audio format, I should say, uh, you can hear the Spirits book. I also have it on my website in audible format, MP4, I think format it's called, that you can download. And if you have like an Apple, uh, you know, audible, uh, you know, uh, application, you can, you can uh, listen to it. I also have an MP3 format too. So I've got the Spirits book in all sorts of formats for you and in my books too. So anyway, I want to say everyone, God bless everyone and good night. God bless.